runners are the most welcoming people in the world. I think like running is a sport that everyone wants to share with more and more people. And it's a unique space because of that, where there's just like no ego to it. A lot of the time where someone is willing to tell you everything that they feel like they should know because they were that beginner runner at some point, and especially coming at it later in life, like learning what certain runs are, learning etiquette, whatever it might be, is stuff that you learn and pick up on when you're in middle school or high school or on the track team or whatever it might be. Um, so people generally are willing to share that information as older individuals as well, because they realize like, how else is this person gonna learn it? That's something that's front of mind a lot of the time, which is special is the whole thing, it's, it's different. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 70 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm stoked to share this convo with local New York City running rock star and co-founder of the Lost Boys Track Club, Tim Rossi. It's been fun watching Tim's progression as he continues to rip faster and faster times, 231 marathon PR, 111 half, and keeps honing his craft. We dove deep on the New York City running scene, Lost Boys vibe and culture, and the power of community. We discuss team sports, coaches who've impacted him, intro to running, being welcomed into the community, the local New York City running scene, Olympic trial standards, New York City women who inspire, the genesis of Lost Boys, the culture, the vibe, the Speed Project, Hood to Coast, running with Shalene Flanagan and Wesley Career at the 50th New York City, his 231 marathon in New York in 2018, lessons learned, the 50th New York City, the decision to DNF versus hanging in there and living cheering section to cheering section and celebrating the running community with boogie down Bronx runners, we run Uptown Crew, the Brooklyn Track Club, the community and giving back. Excited to follow Tim's inspiring journey. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Tim Rossi, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How you doing tonight, brother? Dude, I'm doing well. How about yourself? It's good to see you, man. Uh, Tim is super well-known in the New York City run community. Uh, he's a local legend with the Lost Boys, so stoked to have him on. But uh, for all the Run Chats listeners that are not in the NYC area, how about just a little brief intro on where you grew up, family life, a little bit about sports, just to say, say a little intro. Yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll attempt to keep this one brief, but uh, Tim Rossi, born and raised in New York City. Uh, like you said, running in New York City now, co-founded of the Lost Boys Track Club. Um, like to think I'm pretty involved in the New York City running scene, which is, is a community that kind of brought me into the sport. I, I grew up playing every other sport that was not running, essentially. I was a soccer, baseball guy in high school, and then I dabbled a little bit in the in football and basketball simultaneously. Uh, but whole family still in New York. My parents and my sister are all out here as well. Uh, love this city. Super, super awesome. And, and stoked to be chatting. Nice, man. So still got the roots here. So roots are from here, but still here. And the whole fam is here, which is, uh, 
we love that, man. We totally love that. And yeah, we'll we'll definitely dive into the whole Lost Boys story like as we get into it a little, but uh, that's always fun. I love to hear people uh, that played a lot of other sports growing up. You know, it's also just interesting, man, because you see those certain types of kids, they were lacrosse only. They had a lacrosse stick in their hands. That's all they ever did. They wanted to become a lacrosse player. They played field hockey. They played tennis. They played golf. But they were that singular focus on only one sport. For me... I went season to season, man. It was football, basketball, baseball. Then it became football, wrestling, baseball, and, you know, division one college baseball player. And, you know, I didn't start running to my mid thirties, like 33 ish, you know, somewhere around there. Um, but for me, I enjoy the guests that played other team sports because I think you learn so much more. For one thing, you're exposed to coaches, multiple coaches. Generally, you're not going to have one coach that's going to be in charge of all those sports, unless you're out of a small school, maybe in Nebraska, maybe, um, or not Nebraska, just anywhere where it's smaller. You might have a coach wearing the same hat, you know, for two or three sports. But for us, growing up in the big city or an area like this, no way, man. Your soccer coach is your soccer coach, right? Your baseball coach, whatever. Um, did you have a favorite coach growing up, like in your grade school, high school years and, and what made them your favorite? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a funny one. Like, I mean, the, the real funny story is in, in my high school, you're completely right. We had different coaches for everything. Uh, soccer coach, Mr. Silva, coach Silva, uh, was kind of my guy for a little bit. He was my varsity soccer coach and, and super appreciated him. Um, mostly cause like our, our soccer team was super, super good. And I was in no way like the best player on that team. I was coming off the bench most games a lot of the time, but our, our, like he, I, I was on the team my junior year. I was on the team my senior year and uh, my senior year. I kind of grew into a role on the team to the point where I ended up starting our semifinal game in States, which was super big for me from like an athletic piece, because I, I was coming off the bench most of the time. And then the most important game of the season, he like entrusted me to play uh, the entire game, which was super, super awesome. Unfortunately, we did not win States that year. Um, but that like for our school specifically, soccer was the best sport at my high school. Like it was a sport that we were best at. And uh, like being able to be part of that team was super, super impactful. Uh, the, the funny one is one of the baseball coaches also coached our high school basketball team. He assistant coached on the basketball team. But it was funny because I was really good at baseball um, and loved those coaches as well, but um, was not as good at basketball. And he had to cut me from the basketball team, knowing that I was going to play varsity baseball, I played varsity baseball since my freshman year in high school. Uh, and it was just a... It, in hindsight, it was a funny conversation. I'm sure it wasn't fun for him, but he like pulled me aside at the last tryout um, and, and had to tell me my senior year that I wasn't going to make the varsity basketball team, which completely fair uh, in hindsight, especially. Um, and actually, the the reason that I first started running, I put it in air quotes when I say that because it was really I joined an indoor track team that my school had um, my senior year of high school just because I enjoyed kind of playing a sport throughout the the seasons that I didn't have a winter sport, not playing basketball that year. So um, it ended up kind of being that first entry level to running, which was super, super fun as well. But yeah, man, I mean, that tons of people that you just go back and look at and like super impactful, obviously in athletic journeys with the team and just like how to approach anything like that. And like you said, truly enjoyed doing a variety of different stuff, just really liked different sports. Uh, and, and being a New York kid, like every kid wanted to be Derek Jeter. And then I, again, at my high school, soccer was the thing. So everyone really wanted to play soccer as well because of that. Awesome, man. Love the background. And, you know, part of it, 
I mean, I don't know. I'm asking more of just my own shape out of this. For the soccer journey, you know, you had to really earn that spot, man. There's a lot to that. And anytime we really fight for something and we're on the outside and it doesn't even look like we're going to get there, and then we end up making it and we're on a starting team late or get to start in a huge game like that, we don't forget that stuff. It doesn't matter if it's high school. It doesn't matter if it's D1 in college. Like, like that's part of that journey. Like you made it from a spot where you weren't there. Um, you were second team, maybe even floating around third team. You're, you're playing, you're a fringe, you're on the team, you're working out, but you ascend it, you know? So part of that is whatever you had to do to impress that coach. I think you said his name was Coach Silva, but whatever you had to do, that's how we learn, man. It's like, okay, what do I need to do? Because I want to get out there, man. I want to be on the field when the game is being decided. I want to be on the field when we're playing for states. And, you know, that's what makes, you know, multi-sport, team sport stuff so impactful, right? So, I mean, that was a big part of the journey, right? Trying to get out there and be a real contributing member and then actually making it and being out there with your boys. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a super tangible to exactly what you're saying. Like, you improved enough to get to this point and it can be anything as well. Like it, it could be making the team. It could, it could be making it to varsity when you're on JV or whatever it might be. And it's one of the fun things where like you, you have those tangible goals of like, Oh, I have improved enough to get to this point or whatever it might be. Um, and yeah, you're completely right. Like it, it, it's the things that you remember. It feels like you, like the work that you put in was completely worth it. Um, and, and not that it wouldn't have been worth it if that hadn't happened, but it's just like, oh, look, like all of this work that I put in did get me here. And I'm sure if it, it wasn't me starting that game, it would have been a different experience within one of the sports. Maybe it would have been something with baseball, whatever it might have been. Um, there, there'd be something that comes front of mind when you ask me about stuff like that. But it's one of the fun things with team sports is like, or, or sports like soccer and baseball are great examples of like you can put in uh, an absolute ton of work in practice and, and sometimes not see tangible results. Baseball maybe being the easiest example where like I, I can hit balls in the batting cage for hours on end and then I get in a game and maybe the pitcher is just amazing that day or maybe I'm having an off day and like go 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 or whatever it might be. And it doesn't feel like you're getting better in the micro sense because it's hard to zoom out. Um, but things like starting the big game or or having a really um, great performance on the field of play or whatever it might be. Those are things that I think we kind of latch on to as like, oh, look, the, the practice that I was putting in did lead to X result or whatever it might be. That's so well said. Um, cause it's the foundational stuff. I mean, that's where we learn, you know, we, we learn that we have to put our trust in a coach and we've all had coaches that are just amazing and they're great and they're legends and, you know, they're on a school wall, right? There's also ones that aren't, aren't so great. And, you know, they're telling ladies on the college team or high school team to lose weight and get thinner. And, you know, they're on the swim team, the same thing, or they're telling guys on the basketball team that they got to bulk up and gain weight and put muscle on. And maybe the kids start taking steroids or HGH. I mean, so there's the great examples, there's the bad examples, but when the examples are good and we're given tangible stuff to work for, that's how we learn, right? So, as we're like trying to evolve, become a better defender, you know, play off the ball better in soccer. And I didn't play soccer, but my high school was state champs like every single year. So I was always at their games the way they were supporting us for football and baseball and vice versa. But that's how we get better. We learn our weaknesses, right? We learn our strengths. We learn our weaknesses. That shit applies to running. Like before we get into our running convo and our running dialogue, like we're all trying to get better. 
But that's what the team sports teach us, man. What are we, what are our weaknesses? We're baseball players, man. So like, can you hit a curve? Can you hit a slider, man? Can you hit a split? Are you dead fastball? Are you dead red? Like, you know, are you a power hitter? Are you a gap hitter? Are you just trying to get on base? Like, what are, what are you, what's your approach to hitting, right? And what is the pitcher trying to do to get you out? How are they approaching, you know, getting you out, the rest of the team out? Like, that's what, that's how we grow, man. That's how we become better through team sports. So for baseball, you know, you were more talented at baseball. If you're playing varsity as a freshman, I was too. That tells me everything I need to know because there are very few kids that are playing varsity as a freshman in any sport. And if you're playing in New York City, varsity as a freshman, you're a damn good baseball player. I don't care if you're pitching, catching, playing first base, outfield, wherever you are on the diamond, you can play. Um, so uh, how about best or most fun baseball experiences like uh, going up the ladder, you know, from high school and college? Yeah, it's the, the I mean, the baseball one was super, super fun in New York. That The experiences that come to mind immediately are like uh, we are our division championship in high school. We got to go out to Staten Island Yankee Stadium. I think it was my sophomore year of high school. Richmond. Like we played out yeah. there. Yeah, man. So, so much more, like so cool just being in a, in a, like facility like that and and just an awesome experience to be able to be part of that. I mean, our team was really, really good. My freshman through really my junior year, we were really, really solid. And then a bunch of the older kids graduating, we had this weird gap essentially where some of the younger kids were awesome, but my grade was good. A, a few kids of us like played super seriously and a few of the freshmen played super seriously when I was a senior. And then that the middle grades maybe didn't have as many people playing baseball. And it, it was this really interesting one. And looking back on it, it it's a, an interesting one from what you're talking about as well of like, we won pretty much every single game that we played my freshman through junior year. And then senior year, I think we lost pretty much every single game we played outside of one or two. Uh, and, it, and it was this huge adjustment of like goals and what the goal for the season was and having a calibrate of recognizing like, Hey, we've got a bunch of young guys that are going to be, great in a few years. Um, but we're not that great right now is the whole thing. And obviously things happen. Like there were a few people in my grade who were getting ready for college and, and couldn't play that senior year, the spring of senior year, because they just had a lot of other stuff going on. Um, but that was always super, super fun. And then similar to like some of the soccer experience as well. It was actually like an unfortunate one with baseball where my sophomore year I played, but again, wasn't a starter on the team just yet. Uh, and, and one of the seniors broke his ankle in like the second game of the season. Um, and he still showed up to everything, which was super, super awesome. Just super supportive of the team. But I started playing like I, I filled in for him essentially. And that's when I got my shot, if you will. Um, and at a young age, it's like hard stuff to uh, like you feel a lot of pressure because of that essentially. But it was super, super fun. And then obviously set me up for more success as I played later on in high school as well. And oh, again, always love the sport. Some of my best friends are from baseball, soccer, whatever it might be. Uh, but you're completely right. There's like very tangible things that you can work on every single day. I remember when I like in middle school, I had to learn how to like backhand catch stuff. Essentially, I could like just shagging like short hops, essentially. And when I finally figured that out, it was just such like a big moment for me. And then it becomes part of what you do. Like you don't have to practice it every single day to kind of maintain that skill as well. Um, but put it like, that was another one of those ones of like, Hey, I tangibly work on something for like a few days, a few hours and like finally got it. And it, it's super, super exciting to see stuff like that happen. Yeah. Because like 
we drill. I mean, that's the thing with those other sports. You drill, it's ball pickups. It's, I don't care if you're an infielder or an outfielder, you're a pitcher, you're always working on the finer points of the game. And when you're not working on the finer points of the game, you're conditioning, you're strengthening, you know, you're doing hitting drills, throwing drills. I mean, you're constantly working. I mean, I played at James Madison. We played all year round. You know, we probably played 85, almost 90 games a year if you count fall season and spring. And we're traveling and, you know, I was like, I was barely at school. You know, I just played baseball, which I was totally fine with at that point. But, you know, maybe if I went back now, maybe I would have paid a little more attention on the education side of that picture. But to me, it was like feeling like I was playing a pro baseball, you know, we're on a planes, we're traveling. I'd never even been on a plane before I went to college. So, um, but for me, that's why I wanted to get into the dialogue. For me, so many of the lessons that I apply to my own running or I try to pass on, you know, wisdom learned for a 60, soon to be 61 year old guy are like so much of what I learned from, from about how to become a better runner or from all my other sports, the discipline that it takes. So like reflecting on, you know, what did you need to do to actually crack the starting lineup to get on that soccer team? It's the same thing with our running, man. Like it's a true you know, I'm a Goggins guy, man. It's all about like doing the full postmortem, man. It's like looking in the mirror. Okay. What's up with my running? Like, what's the deal? Like, what am I really good at? And what do I need to work at? What do I need to improve? Like, do I need more speed? Do I need more strength? Like, what do I need to do? Do I need to do, work on some, throw some cross country in? Do I need to work on doing more trail running just to get physically stronger? Do I need to race less, race more? Do I need to focus on like one distance or maybe like one event? Because man, you got, face it, you're like half, not even half my age or way more than that. Um, so you're so young and you have so much time to develop even though you weren't on that particular running path that a lot of great high school collegiate runners are. You're starting later, which to me is a big advantage, right? Because I really think that a lot of them, you know, sure, there's the Shalanes of the world that are still destroying it. And, you know, I think I saw you in New York, man. Weren't you running with her? Was it Chicago? You were running with her somewhere, right? For a little bit, for a little bit in both of the cities, actually, which was a, a super, super cool experience this past year, for sure. I love it. I love it when the old guy's memory actually fucking works for a change, man. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be like, I thought that was Tim. Like, no, it was actually somebody else. No, yes, yes, it worked, man. It's a beautiful thing, man. So let's talk your transition to running. Besides that, those two fun, insane things, man. Because does it get any cooler than that? You're rolling with Shalane. I don't care if you ran like a mile together, man. That's just totally badass, right? Yeah, yeah. One of the, it, it's funny being like one of those experiences that thankfully I have the, uh, like a little, I, I like to think I have perspective on it where like in the moment, I feel like a lot of the time stuff happens to you and you're like, oh, that was cool. And then like a few years later, you'll be like, oh no, that was like super, super cool to be part of. And thankfully, it, mostly because of like who Shalane is, is a human being at this point in time. I think it's like, oh no, this is like a really, really special, unique thing that like probably won't ever get to happen to me again. Um, so, so yeah, got, got to embrace that one fully. But yeah, man, I mean, it, it's funny to exactly your question, like definitely wouldn't have thought this is what I'd be doing now uh, when I was in high school, but uh, I, I think like a lot of people kind of kind of went to college after playing all these sports in high school and was not necessarily playing them competitively anymore. Definitely still played kind of everything and like w was doing anything to stay active just because that's what I enjoyed. And there was a lot of fun that I got doing that, whether it be the intramural stuff, whether it be just going to the gym and like shooting the basketball around with my friends for a little bit, um, but got to college and was like, wanted to start doing something mostly from like a fitness perspective, honestly, uh, and started running a little bit because of that. And thankfully 
soccer background gives you a little bit of a foundation right there. So it, it wasn't a like miserable experience is probably the best way of putting it. Running's hard. Like there's no, there's no beating around that bush, but uh, when, when you've got a little bit of uh, like a background, you can at least like go out and jog a few miles without it completely destroying you initially, which was super, super cool. And truthfully, I just got lucky when I first transitioned, I was, uh, I went freshman year of college to Villanova down in Philly. And then I transferred down to Emory for my uh, sophomore year and then graduated from there. Um, but at Villanova and then a summer job that I had working at a running store, I kind of met people at Villanova on the run club running team. Um, and then at the running store, just like super serious runners that I was kind of surrounded by. And, and all those people were just super like willing to, to pull me in and teach me the things that like, I had no idea what I was doing as someone who was maybe going and running like a few miles every single day pretty hard every single day. Cause I figured you might as well try and run fast if you can, or fast being relative, but like I wanted to finish a run feeling winded. So I was like doing that every day. And everyone that I met kind of taught me like, Oh, this is what a track workout is or a tempo run is or a long run. And like, you shouldn't run super hard every single day. Uh, and I didn't necessarily take it super seriously initially, but that foundation and allowing myself to kind of understand the sport was truthfully what kind of set me up. Um, for success when ultimately I kind of point to my senior year of college, I started to take it a little bit more seriously. I tried to get into the New York City Marathon a few times. My mom's done it a few times at this point, and it was always kind of a bucket list thing. And thankfully, I didn't get in for like three years because I would have done it probably after running for six months and not enjoyed myself. But I got three and a half years of running under my belt before I did it. Um, and that like foundation and base building and and understanding the sport is really what allowed that to be fun of an experience and then set me on kind of like the trajectory, if you will, um, to New York City running community. Yeah, which is hard to beat. Let's face yeah. it, man. Oh, yeah. There's some great, great cities in this world and there are some great cities in amazing countries when we're, we're lucky enough to travel abroad and I get to travel a lot. But it's awful hard to beat the New York City running scene. I mean, we're blessed with so much besides the fact that we have Central Park, which is just absurd in any weather. It's 110. It's absurd. If it's blizzard conditions, it's absurd. If it's pouring rain, like whatever it is, whatever the weather is, whatever the season is, it just rocks. It doesn't matter, man. You could you rip the bridle, you hit the outer loops, you do combinations. It's just great. You got Van Cortland right up there in the Bronx. I mean, you can get on all the trails you want there. And of course, uh, you know, you got the perimeter and all the the osr type routes that are fun man ripping down the west side highway jumping barriers and all the other crazy shit that goes on hitting into the other boroughs you know doing the osr stuff so we really are spoiled man we're spoiled as hell um so i want to jump back a little so you're you're kind of your first exposure you know at villanova and emory and you know in running stores and that running community i think that's like the ideal way if i were going to try to bring somebody in who's truly like an outsider and doesn't understand running at all like we had our sports background so we played multiple sports so we had to run running is a huge part of those sports it may not be that we had enjoyed the running part of it but you know it's like go fucking laps go do this you fucked up romano you better go do this shit it's like all right whatever okay or i get extra 
extra batting practice if I beat everybody in, in the five-mile run around the Shenandoah Mountains at JMU. I wasn't losing that, Tim. I could tell you right now, I just took it out so hard that all the 6'5", 240 guys, you know, they were behind me, and I was if I got a big enough gap and they couldn't see me anymore, they all just gave up. So, I mean, I was kind of destined for running and cross-country. I just hadn't found it yet, you know? Um, but your exposure, you know, being at those running stores and having people actually, like, take you under their wing and explain, hey, don't run every run as hard as you can or don't do this or this is a track workout. I mean, in a way, it's totally your first exposure to community and specifically, quote unquote, the running community. So I wonder if you've ever thought about the impact that had and it did it have something to do with you bringing like Lost Boys to be. Like, I mean, or did that just kind of evolve in time, being around the city, running, meeting a lot of other crazy ass people like me and the other mad men that are out there and ladies that are out there crushing miles? Like, did it have any impact or do you think it just just kind of evolved over time? Yeah, I, I think it's always been like it, it from the start for me has kind of been both from the the motivation, if you will, of sure there's that competitive outlet and i think that's one of the reasons that running is so fun I, we were talking about it before but running is this like really interesting sport where there is very tangible progress that you're making like you work out for two three four weeks whatever it is depending on how long you've been doing this and like you will run a 5k faster than you could four weeks ago or you will run a mile faster than you could four weeks ago and it's one of those things that for me personally got super uh addicting if you will of like hey i can train for a bit and i'll very tangibly be better even if i have an off day is the whole thing like if i am truly better than i was before i can have a poor performance and still be better than i was a month ago or that's maybe super early on in my running but like if you run for a year i can have the worst race of my life now is the whole thing like i had a really interesting which i'm sure we'll talk about a little bit but new york city marathon experience this past year I still ran faster than the first marathon that I ever ran. Like that, that progress is something that yes, you can see it in soccer and baseball for all the reasons that we were talking about before, but it's not as in your face, which, which is a huge part of it. But then simultaneously, and maybe more important for me as well as the community aspect of it and more like community is a word that gets tossed around a lot, obviously. But I think the way that I think about it is just the people are like people that I genuinely am friends with that I want to spend time with that that I am aware, like they impacted my life massively. And it's super, super fun to be able to do something like this with people that you enjoy being around. Uh, and that's one of the cool things with running, especially in a city like New York, where it, it, it's a huge city. There's so many people. And I've had a lot of friends from college who have moved here and described the like struggle of trying to meet their people or friends or whatever it might be. And having this common activity that you're sharing with people, which is a great activity to be doing uh, in the first place for all the like various health benefits. Um, it, it's great to be able to like, hey, I might not see you this week, but do you want to go and catch an hour run in Central Park? We can just catch up on life and stuff like that. Um, so those people that I initially met within the sport being so welcoming, and I think it's one of the special things with running is generally speaking, runners are the most welcoming people in the world. I think like running is a sport that everyone wants to share with more and more people. And it's a unique space because of that, where there's just like no ego to it. A lot of the time where someone is willing to tell you everything that they feel like they should know, because they were that beginner runner at some point, and especially coming at it later in life, like 
learning what certain runs are, learning etiquette, whatever it might be, is stuff that you learn and pick up on when you're in middle school or high school or on the track team or whatever it might be. Um, so people generally are willing to share that information as older individuals as well, because they realize like, how else is this person going to learn it? Uh, and, and to your exact question, like I, it, it's a thousand percent something that played a part of like, how do you give back to the community? Lost Boys definitely started as a little bit more of a like joke, if you will. I don't think any of us that started it realized that it was going to like become something. Um, but even outside of Lost Boys, I do think there's always kind of been that conversation in the background of like, how, how do we give back to or or grow this sport that has changed my life, changed my friends' lives? Like that that's something that's front of mind a lot of the time, which is special is the whole thing. It's It's different. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, it's purpose. I mean, like we all need purpose as human beings and as runners for us to really succeed, to really find our best version of ourselves and really like unlock that mystery, if you will. Like we got to, there's so much more to it, man. It isn't just about tempo miles and, and this workout and smash some crazy shit with Kilgore and do something with another person. Like that's all great. And it fills our soul, man. It fills our cup. It's all great, but it's just so much deeper, man. It's a mystery that takes time. Uh, and I think what you said about the community piece, like I always think of like um, culturally, um, you know, like societies where the elders are valued, like in Japan, where old age is valued, man, like in Indian tribes, it's valued. Like they're the elders, they have knowledge. They want to, they want to pass that down to the next generation. And like so much of that is lost, man. You know, our country and the world and COVID, I mean, these are things that are, it's not a US problem, it's a worldwide problem, man. We've just been driven into our own isolated states, you know, more or less forced to be apart um, where we function best when we're around each other, man. Like, I mean, the last time I actually saw you in person was the day of the 10 mile run that literally every running club on the planet does run the last 10 before New York. And I mean, if I saw one person smiling harder than the next, it just, that's all I saw was smiles. That's all I saw was people feeling happy you know, feeling fulfilled. And sure, there's going to be some people that are nervous. Maybe it's their first New York and maybe they're scared shit because they actually don't know if they could finish the run. But for those of us that have run before and are there to kind of pass along some wisdom and help and bring somebody out to make them feel a little confident about what's to come, like that's, that's what our sport is, man. It's like give back, share, impart lessons. And then if somebody doesn't want to know what you've done, that's cool too. Like, you know, it's all good. We don't all have to share each and every little bit, but, um, you know, I just think that that's such a big piece of it. And, you know, like, it's so important, you know, the fact that it may have started off as a joke, is just better. It's, it's so much better. It's a way more legendary story because like, you don't have to know. I mean, we were talking about Rich Roll before we came on and, you know, Rich is easily my favorite podcaster. And I just think the guy's amazing because, you know, we can talk about running, we can talk about baseball, we can talk about sports and teams and ethos and all that. But I think Rich can talk to like anybody, man, a triple PhD food scientist and, you know, some namaste yoga person and, you know, literally about anything with anyone and, and have like a meaningful dialogue. And, you know, at the end of the day, man, it's all about giving back. It's all about the community. And, you know, you guys have this super cool vibe. 
and the stay loss and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, you guys all love running, man. That's what it's about. You all love running. And you'll hang with anybody at any pace. You'll run. You're welcoming. It's not like you're going to be like, oh, sorry, man, you don't run a fast enough 5K. You can't roll with us. Um, you can't hang with us. That's not the case. Um, you know, you got some super elite, super fast people in your club that can rip. But man, that, that's not what it's all about, right? Yeah, yeah, you're you're hitting the nail on the head. And it's been honestly like a, a topic of discussion for us, because I think the if anything, the whole the whole like mantra is pace agnostic is something that we've kind of talked about. Like, I don't care if you're running a, a four minute mile or if you're running trying to break 10 minutes in the mile or whatever it might be, like whatever that goal is, the whole point of what Lost Boys is trying to do. And it ties into like what um, the reason that we really became a thing, but the whole point is trying to like encourage people to continue to chase after goals that they might think, uh, are, are super ambitious or aggressive. Like the, the ton in cheek references to the lost boys and Peter Pan and, and Neverland and never growing up and stuff like that. Uh, and, and the spiel that we usually give is those, when you're a kid, you have these dreams that like feel very realistic, even though they might be absolutely absurd. And at some point in your life, like you decide that those things are absurd. And the the point is like, what if you did not think that they were absurd? What if you thought that it was possible to be able to do that? Uh, and, and I say all that to be like, it, your goal could be something that's super ambitious for you. And it doesn't need to be super, super fast or anything like that. It can be anything like that. And that's the other fun thing with Lost Boys as well as it's in pretty intentionally vague on like, what is a lost boy? Like we're not meeting up for, for group runs, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. We're not uh, putting our team name down at like USATF or NYR races. It's more, anyone can be part of it if they feel like they're part of it, which is super, super special. The, the going back to it, like it, it started as a joke in that me and my friends that worked at the running store, Jeremy Mulvey and Jerry Faulkner were going to some of these races uh, locally in New York, like Long Island, New Jersey. And we just wanted a team name to put down. So we kind of spitball team names driving back from one of these races once. And we came up with that and like started putting it down um, at these races. And it just slowly morphed into something. And when it started to become real, the real driving factor behind it was uh, we all had a bunch of friends who were division one runners in college or or maybe super serious runners in high school who had at some point to exactly what you're saying, lost that joy and fun from the sport. And for whatever reason, they just felt super burnt out from it. And, and I truly believe that like anyone started, anyone that ran at one point in their life did it or started to do it at one point because it was enjoyable. And maybe along the way, they had a coach that made it too serious or, or they started to take it extraordinarily seriously. And maybe that lost some of the joy behind it. And the point is to kind of hopefully remind people that you can have fun while trying to chase after ambitious performance related goals, if that's what you're trying to do. And blending those two is super, super important. It's why, I mean, David Kilgore is the person that I talk about all the time of like, he has the most fun chasing these absurd running goals of anyone that I know. And he's just the best example of, hey, I can do it. And have fun doing it is the whole thing. And I think that's so important because people think that the, the serious runners of the world take themselves way too seriously. And that's not always the case is the whole thing. Like some of those guys are having 
just as much fun as me and you running around Central Park is the whole thing. And reminding people of that is super, super valuable and hopefully brings more people into it if they realize that it can actually be an enjoyable experience. I love the talk track there for a bunch of reasons, because, you know, when we're kids, you're right, like no teacher, no parent, no anybody is going to fucking talk you out of doing something if you think you're going to do it, man. You're evil Knievel when you're going to jump ramps with your bicycle and get 12 cinder blocks out and you're going to have broken bones and you're in the emergency room. But no parent is going to talk you out of trying to do it the next time. You're going back. You just you weren't in the right place. You didn't have the ramp right. You're going to do this different the next time. And you're going to you're going to make one of those jumps or you're going to do some jump on your skis or some other thing that is crazy crazy or sleigh riding down a hill that went right into the middle of traffic that had no way to stop that we used to do repeatedly down hospital hill where I grew up how we didn't end up dead or in that hospital is just a miracle but you don't you don't worry about those things when you're a kid man you just you just say I'm gonna do this and then you do it um, so the whole like kind of stay lost credo and just even the sentence it it really it rings true to me of all people. A guy was just about 61 years old. Like, I can't tell you how many times people say to me, what, wait, what do you, what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to run all six majors in the same year. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to run all six in the same year. Like only like 12 people have ever done it. And you know, I'm going to do that. They're like, yeah, yeah. It's all like, yeah, go for it, Ron, go for it, Ron. Yeah. Behind your back. They're all like, oh, he's going to fucking break himself. He's going to get injured. He's, you know, he's never going to be the same. You know, it's like one of the best things I've ever done in my whole life, man. It was like a party for a whole year. You know, Tokyo, London, Boston, Berlin, Chicago, New York. And, you know, Shalane did it in, you know, uh, 40 something days. Okay. Which is completely insane. But, you know, I didn't have a private jet. I didn't have a chiropractor. I didn't have a nutrition team. I didn't have all that stuff. I'm rolling around at 58 by myself working, got a dog, got a kid. Um, so those are, to me, that's what that embodies. Like, fuck. Listen to your own voice, man. That's Goggins. Don't don't let people talk you out of shit. If you think it's really cool, like Kilgore to decide you're going to run through the desert alone, then go do it, man. Like, I mean, I remember he told me on the podcast, we're talking about, I was like, it was like, we had done the show. We had done all this other stuff. And then he like tells me about it. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, I was like, all right, all right. I wasn't even sure he meant it. And then, you know, whatever, like a week later, he was out there and then he does it. So you're absolutely right. Um, but you don't have to run through the desert and run 340 miles. You don't have to run all six majors in the same year. There might be something out there that sounds sexy and awesome and hard to you. And don't let anybody talk you out of it, man. If that's what gets the juices flowing, if that's what's making you think or stay awake an extra hour at night because you're wondering if you can do it or it scares the shit out of you, man, fucking listen to that voice, man. Don't tune that out. Tune that in, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and like have fun doing it is the whole thing in the end. Cause I, those are the things that usually get you. Uh, I feel like the, those running through the desert, all six majors in one year, whatever it is, like it, it usually is what gets you fired up to like get out of bed and, and train for whatever it is. That's one of the pieces with running as well. Like obviously you need to put the work in to be able to do this stuff. Uh, and that's also part of it is Hey, you you have the goal now. Go act upon it. Is the whole thing like do the work that's going to actually get you there? Um, but those are the things that motivate you to do it. Is the whole thing, and whatever that is, I completely agree with you. Like, I'm not going to go run 300 miles through Death Valley because I also just can't do that right now. Um, but Kilgore can, and like he wants to do that. Is the whole thing the same thing with all six majors? Like that's huge. Is the whole thing, and, and people think about it within the context of themselves. And obviously like 
maybe some people that doesn't make sense. That's completely fine, but maybe it makes sense for others. And, and you shouldn't just like scoff at what someone's uh, getting pumped up about because you're not able to do it or, or like physically capable. I use myself as an example. Like I'm a very brittle runner. If I tried to run all six majors right now, at least maybe one day I couldn't work my body up to have a little bit more durability. Um, but like for now, that might be a silly thing for me to do. But at the same time, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage Shalane. I'm going to encourage Kilgore to like do these things that I'm incapable of because maybe I can't do that exact thing, but I can still get excited about David doing something amazing like that. And those are the, it's kind of what we've tried to create, whether it's like Molly winning bronze in Tokyo and then coming back and crushing New York, like that I'm never going to finish third in an Olympics, but I'm simultaneously sure going to get fired up about like a buddy of mine, absolutely crushing it or something like that. Or, a friend trying to Olympic trials qualifier, then Luke Morton trying to trying to do what he's doing in running, trying to get his marathon times down like super far under four, eventually under three, and then even faster than that. Like that dude's got super ambitious goals and is working just as hard as as the Olympians of the world. And like that gets me fired up to get out the door and do stuff like what I want to do. Again, beautifully said. And I think that's one of the cool things about Lost Boys is, you know, Molly, yes. Ben Flanagan has been on my show twice. You guys are all up in Ben's stuff. You're paying attention. But you guys pay attention to runners across the full sport. I mean, track athletes, you know, milers, 800 meters, distance runners, ultra runners. You're out there just showing love and appreciation for our sport. So, you know, you're hitting up people that have nothing really do with Lost Boys, but you're giving them love. You're giving them shares. You just, you're sharing that positive energy and, you know, going back to, you know, Kilgore's craziness and, and other stuff or anything, anyone else that, you know, personally, you know, from our community that has, has done, that is how we judge ourselves. It's, it's normal. That's fucking being a human being, man. Like I can't do that. Okay. But David could, or Tim could, or maybe some other people I know, maybe Jerry Faulkner could, but the point is that's how we size up anything in life. It's a business opportunity, a relationship thing, a running endeavor that seems crazy. Like that's what we do. And we go, Oh, I couldn't do that. But I think the big picture is it just because you can't do something doesn't mean you can't get excited for somebody else talking about it and give them the fucking support, give them the love Tell them they're on to something and you can gain goodwill from that energy, right? By sharing what they're trying to do, being on board with what they're trying to do and supporting what they're trying to do. Because when we find this big stuff or somebody we know is doing something big, we get to, we get to live on that hype too, man. We, we can feel that we're a part of it and we're giving back at that particular moment. And man, that's what makes us better humans, man. When we're doing that shit, it's not just about what the hell we're doing and how fast we can run a mile or a 5k or something else, man. That'd be a pretty short-sighted way to just judge running in our own lives is how fast we can run a mile or a 5k. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and even beyond that as well, I like, completely agree. It, it's, it's super easy to like support someone in what they're trying to do. It, it, it's not that heavy of a lift. And I, I think reminding myself of that all the time of just Hey, it's super easy to be jacked up about this. Like just support them in what they're trying to do. Uh, that that's super easy. But then simultaneously, it sometimes I might think that I can't do something. And then someone that I very tangibly know goes out and does it. And it's like, oh, maybe, like maybe I can is the whole thing, which is super, super cool. I, I think very tangibly back to the 
what was it? I mean, the 2020 marathon trials and the OTQ chase for the females when they were all trying to go under 245. And there was this like amazing tidal wave that happened where 245 is fast. First of all, I know everyone likes to talk about how many people qualified for the Olympic trials on the women's side, but like that is a fast marathon time. And, and all of a sudden, what I like to think happened, and I would argue with anyone that this is what happened, is a, a few girls that were like pillars of the community or, or or people that were just known within running circles all of a sudden went out and were maybe 305 girls or maybe 258 girls. And then all of a sudden they were 244 girls and, and they were doing it 18 months before the trials. And then all of a sudden people started to think like, oh, if if Johnny's doing that, not Johnny in this case, if Leah's doing that or whoever it is, if Emma's doing that, uh, like maybe I can do it as well is the whole thing. And then it, it kind of opens the aperture of what's possible. Uh, and all of a sudden you get the 250, 300 women that were on the starting line in Atlanta. Uh, and that's amazing because all of a sudden the bar has just raised so much because it, it's people that feel very relatable achieving something that maybe you didn't think you could do before. But now that they've done it, you start to think like, oh, maybe I can do it as well is the whole thing. And I personally think this is what's going to happen with the the 2024 marathon trials are like 237 is fast, but all of a sudden you're going to get a few people this year that are going to run 236 and it's going to get some wheels spinning in a few people's heads. And it's going to be like, oh, well, maybe I can do that all of a sudden. And it's just going to be a special one to watch. It's beautiful, man. It's the rising tide, r- rising tide lifts all boats, like hundred um, percent. I was at CIM, so I got to see some of that in person. Um, and you know, we're, again, we're blessed to be in the New York city running community. So we saw so many of these different women like Anna Johnson and all these other amazing runners who run for a bunch of different clubs. Didn't matter. Clubs are aside at this point. Doesn't matter. You know, if you're running for central park track club, dashing whippets, New York athletic club, all that goes out the window. Why? Because all these women collectively decided let's work together. We got to get these long runs in. We got to hit these paces. We got to work on our fueling. We got to do these different things. And again, we're spoiled as fuck, man. Like in New York, you just have to, you don't even have to raise your hand. You don't even have to ask for help. It just happens. Like you starting to see them roll at 730 in the morning doing park loops. Like people will be out there riding their bikes, giving them Morton bottles. Like they'll just, you'll be like, hey man, do you need some help on nutrition? Do you need some help with gels? Like we just do that, right? And when we do it, we feel like 500 times better about ourselves than we felt before we did it. Because we're like, hey, man, I might have helped Anna. I might have helped, you know, Leanne. I might have helped somebody, like, make their dream come true. And on the standards, I've had a number of women on who ran in Atlanta. I was also down in Atlanta because Tokyo had canceled. I was one day from flying over to Tokyo to get my second six star. And it got punted on and punted on again last year. And it's probably going to get ripped away for the third straight year. But um, being in Atlanta, seeing that race, feeling that energy, seeing how many women, I think it was 390 actually, believe it or not, um, that qualified just because I know those numbers more just because I've had a lot of guests on in my next episode that's going to drop like probably tomorrow, uh, Mary Denholm. You, you could not have described her situation in four years. She went from a BQ running 303 or 304 to running 242 in CIM to qualify. Okay. She goes to Atlanta, a far harder course with the wind blowing people's days upside down. I mean, how many people dropped? How many people did not have anywhere near their best day? She was seated, I think one, I think she was seated like 190th or something. She came in 51st. She ran 241 in Atlanta. So it's faster than CIM 
maybe by a half a minute or a minute, but that's about the equivalent of being like 10 minutes faster on that day, on that course, in those conditions. And to exactly what we talked about, the new standards harder. There are going to be people who say, oh no, I can't do it. It's going to take a few people to start doing it. And then they're going to get together and rally and they're going to start saying, hey, she did it. Tim did it. This one did it. Let's start working together. And all of a sudden that number which seems impossible because it's 6.15s and now we're dropping down to 6.10s and 6.05s and 6 flat. So it seems crazy, but when you start to work together and you chip away, all of a sudden it becomes something that's attainable. So super cool, man. Definitely on the same page with you on that. Yeah, it's going to be a special one. I mean, it's always a fun one because there's just the, the time is, the line is drawn in the sand at this point is the whole thing. And exactly what you said, give it, Give it a, like, give it this fall. Honestly, you're going to see 20, 30, 40 women who, who maybe didn't think it was possible, um, go out and either like run super close and maybe fall short. Oh, so just maybe blow it out of the water. And all of a sudden it's going to reframe what everyone thinks is possible. Cause I do think there's like, if, if you're under 245, generally what you're thinking about next is 240. So for whatever reason, 237 feels very far from 240, but Again, if you if you get under there, all of a sudden it's like, well, why not? Like, why not take that shot? I'm getting close. Or if, if I'm going to go try and run 239, I might as well try and run 237 at this point if you're an American woman. Like, that's huge. And then you can also make these other goals matter simultaneously is the whole thing. If someone's not chasing it or if a guy's part of these training groups as well, like running over 240 is a huge goal for people as well. So all of a sudden you'll start to get these small groups that are chasing it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was fun to watch in 2020, all that happened, 2019, 2018, when people were chasing those marathons, CIM uh, is obviously a memorable experience as well, where those packs, both the guys and girls chasing after those standards were insane and just like enormous. And I have no doubt that it's going to happen again in 2022 and 2023. Yeah, that's exciting, man. It's exciting stuff. Yeah, we had Bromka come up a second short. And then if I tip my screen here a little, there's my Rivs love up there, my boy, Tommy Rivs up there on top, you know, it's funny because on Saturday is my birthday. So it's a one year anniversary of my 60 mile run for him, for his family. But yeah, I, I just love all that community aspect and, you know, chasing big goals. And, um, when it's your dream and you feel like it's your own, it's awesome and it's exciting and it's sexy. But when you get a couple of guys together, a couple of women together or a combinations, like you said, cause those are seriously fast men, man. You know, I know I've run 240. like getting under 240 is crazy. It's, it's, it's insane. It's hard, man. Especially if you like us and you weren't like competitively running division one college and maybe didn't have that track background. That's a long way to make it man or woman. Um, so however you get that group dynamic together, you chop it down together. You know, those miles have to be run and not just long runs of two and a half, three hours. It's work has to get done. Pacing has to get done. Fueling practice has to get done. So, you know, working together will always help collectively, man. So, um, that's more generic, fun running stuff, talking a little about your own cultural background with Lost Boys and all, but what about your running? Like, let's just jump into like where your first real start was. Um, cause that's generally where I start with everybody, you know, first real race. And then we'll get into some of, you know, your favorite races. I mean, you know, you have one epic, you know, breakthrough race. And then, you know, obviously we'll talk a little about New York this year because man, I think we learn so much more by when we struggle, when we fight, 
when the day doesn't go our way than when we have our 231 big breakthrough like you had. Although, shit, man, there's no way I can bring you on here and think we're not going to talk about that, man, because we have to. Um, so just bring us in. Like, when did you, I know you were running, you know, in college and all, but when did you like first real race, let's say, like in New York or wherever on the scene where you felt like you were in the mix? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a funny one because to exactly your point, like ran all through college, started to take it a little bit more seriously. And there's probably a few within college where it was like, oh, maybe I like realizations that running is kind of what I wanted to do. Or maybe there was some potential there. The the fun one that I always point out is there's a turkey trot that I do every year on Long Island called Mon the Montauk Turkey Trot. It's just out Mon Montauk. Uh, and I remember I won uh, the three miler, like, I, I think it was my sophomore or junior year of college. Like I won that, the, the asterisk on it is it, it's a three miler and a six miler. And the six miler is just two loops of the three miler. Um, and, and the year that I won the three miler, the guy that won the six miler was ahead of me at the three mile point. So but there was someone way ahead of me. I still won my race technically. Um, but that was like a big one for me. Cause it was like, Oh, like I just won a race. That's like a big deal. I must be good at this. Um, so that, and, and I love that race. Like that's one of my favorite races that I'll ever do Uh senior year of college. I, I ran a, a 5k on the track um, in the, they, they hosted Emory hosted a track meet every single sprint. And I ran that on the track. Uh, I broke 17 for the first time, which was a huge deal for me, like a, a huge barrier that I wanted to break as well. And I legitimately, I didn't know enough about running at that point where I'm like, this is, this must be insanely fast. Like I, I am amazing. And not that breaking 17 is not fast, but I don't think I realized how much faster uh, people were going <laughs> than I was. Uh, but like the, the first one that I really, really point to is the New York City Marathon, which I ran for the first time in 2014 as well. Um, and, and that was just like, a really positive marathon experience. I'm a New Yorker. My mom had ran the marathon a few times. Uh, I, I think anyone that comes to running late, everyone knows what a marathon is, at least vaguely. Not everyone knows exactly how far it is, but everyone knows that it's like an impressive feat of endurance, I guess, um, regardless of how fast you're running as well. My mom is by no means, she would say not a fast runner, but her friends know that she's run marathons and that's a super impressive thing. Uh, and it truly is like, it, it genuinely is super impressive. Whether you're walking 26 miles, like Tommy did this past year in New York, one of the coolest stories ever, um, granted lots of context around that to make it even more special, but like you go 26 miles, that's huge is my point, regardless of if you're winning the race or the last place, like that's awesome. Um, so for me, when I did it for the first time, it, it was one of those ones that like, I think anyone that runs a marathon for the first time genuinely doesn't know if you're going to be able to finish the entire race. Uh, thankfully, I had a few years of running under my belt at that point. I put it in air quotes of like, maybe it wasn't most serious training in the world, but again, was surrounded by a lot of uh, important people. I had found a running club that I was part of in the city at the time. I, I was part of Central Park Track Club when I ran my first marathon, which was amazing. Yeah, there we go. CPTC connection right there. There we go, bro. I remember like the coolest thing was I showed up to the race and I was going to like the Tuesday track um, workouts and then doing some of the Temple runs in Central Park. Tuesday, Thursday, up, baby. There it is. Dude, it's still great. It's still going is the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I showed up to the starting line and for whatever reason, hadn't like had this discussion with people that I was running with, but saw two of the guys that I'd been training with um, pretty consistently, Cliff and Phil. Uh, and, and we essentially all realized that we wanted to run vaguely the same thing. So we were like, okay, we'll run together. 
Uh, and unfortunately, Cliff had an issue. Um, he was kind of hurt going into it, so he had to drop, which sucked. But me and the guy, Phil Lang, we ran uh, literally the entire race together, which was super, super cool. And especially for your first marathon, like very helpful to have someone that you've put miles in with previously. You're going to feel bad. And and he kind of led the way when I felt bad and I led the way when he felt bad. And we ended up running just this like even splits, feel good the whole time race. Uh, and did great. Like we hit exactly what we wanted to. And that was probably the first, like, okay, like this, like, I really, really enjoyed that experience was the whole thing. It made me want to do the marathon more, which I, I still feel that way. I love the marathon. I think it's a really cool event, but it also opened my eyes to like, it, it was such an energetic, exciting experience. And that side of things was just as cool as running the time that I ran, which was for the sake of it. Like I ran 249.09, which I wanted to break 250. And that's what happened. And I legitimately will never have a race that's like executed as perfectly as that race was. A perfect go to plan first race with someone you've crank cranked a lot of miles with. Um, that almost never happens. Um, so yeah, pinch yourself, man. Remind yourself that that's so rare. Um, because almost everyone has some horror story, blow up story, fueling nightmare or combinations of all the above, but they loved it. They finished it, but then they had real questions of like, do I really want to do this again? Do I want to suffer like this again? Right. I mean, this pain or, and you know, many of us are just like, well, if I did this differently, you know, and then a week later, we've already signed up or maybe not even that long, maybe two days later, we've, we've already signed up, but Damn, that's that's pretty epic for a first one. And um, definitely to be able to run with somebody you've cranked the miles with, it's just, it's a game changer because like you said, when you're not feeling great, you kind of hand it off and you trade off those responsibilities. And, you know, no words need to be said, man. When you've run a lot of miles with somebody, you, it can be a grunt or it doesn't even need to be a grunt. Sometimes it doesn't even need to be anything at all. You just can give somebody a look. And, you know, it's like Kipchoge, if he doesn't want anybody running near him, you know, when he starts pointing at, you know, you know, what's his name, Adole, you know, in Berlin and, you know, he stared down Galen this year and gave him the, gave him the freaking evil eye in the Olympics, man. And, uh, you know, like, and he's my boy, so I can't ever, I can't hate on Kipchoge, man, but he don't like people around him, man. He don't like people around his feet for sure. Um, but then again, when you're the goat, you can pretty much make any rules you want. And, you know, he, when you finish like the last 10 K smiling and, you know, you drop your fastest 10 K the race and, you know, everybody else is like literally like crawling across, you know, like they're in a canoe out at sea with no water. And, you know, he's dropping as fast as 5k, you know, in the last 5k of t Tokyo in that heat humidity the dude's like superhuman man so what a sick entry for you and your first one in 2014 and um you know you're from here so even if you hadn't ever dreamed of a marathon your mom had run a couple like so like we're spoiled like for people that are listening to the show that have never run new york there's just no way you can understand what new york city's like there's no fucking way you can understand what it's like you think it's insane in boston or you've run london or no man you don't even know what craziness is what madness is what what just absolute joy and just everything you know the music the bands the gospel singers rap music like there's nothing that you don't come across out there in those boroughs and you know when you need it most 
And when you are in your worst place, you somehow magically lock eyes with someone that you know, or somebody out there that you've never seen in your life just sees you at that moment and makes eye contact with you and just gives you some love. And, and that's why our race is what makes New York City just like so special, man. And, you know, you got to go out and have a like a vintage, perfect, you know, first result, man. So what a, what a amazing first experience. And to go sub 250 on top of it is like insane. You know, going sub three is one thing, but sub 250, first one. And that's 2014. Now, at this point, you were running for CPTC. And um, walk us through a little bit, because I know, you know, you've had, you know, lots of great results across many different distances. Um, do you want to tackle your big breakthrough next and talk about that race? Because, you know, I mean, that's just like next level, you know, where, where you've taken it to in that one particular race. So we should probably talk a little bit about the race itself and, you know, what was it like in your build up to it? And, you know, because that's important, man, maybe you could figure out, you know, what put that one together for you so well, and maybe obviously try to use that as a blueprint moving forward. Yeah, yeah, and it, it brings in the good context because essentially what happened from there was uh, a, a lot of years of running where I essentially got injured. I, I for the marathon's sake, uh, wanted to break 240. That was the goal. It didn't happen next year. I, I had the traditional marathon where I went out too hard and I, I blew up a little bit. Um, but then like a lot of people, and I think it's one of the trickier things we were talking about, uh, like coming to the sport later as well, of just maybe a little bit of naivety where, I learned that there were people doing like tons of miles and I was like, Oh, I should be running tons of miles if I want to be good at this thing. Uh, so, so got over ambitious and unfortunately ended up in like a, a, what I would describe as, um, like injury cycle essentially where I, I had every classic overuse injury. I had a, a stress fracture of my second metatars on my right foot uh, that I had, I, I came back from that and stood on a rock during a run and rolled my ankle and fractured my fifth metatarsal, which was unfortunate. Uh, and then again, a few months later, I had a stress reaction in my right shin. So three things over kind of like 18 months that were in hindsight, again, super, super interconnected. Um, and, and essentially where this bleeds to, it's like, I, I think it's fall of 2017 where I've gone through all of these injuries and like just super frustrated with it. Um, and it took all three of those for me to fully take a step back and really be like, okay, uh, I need to like, let my body start to come around. So I, I very much slowed running down, like pulled the miles back pretty massively and just started a really slow build up for the 2018 New York city marathon. I ran the Brooklyn half in May, um, off of good, but nothing like impressive training wise. Maybe when I had first hurt myself, I wanted to be running like 70, 80, 90 miles a week. And I had pulled back to like 40 or 50 miles a week, which way less for where I was, maybe not that little holistically, but comparative right, within the context of what I was running before, definitely a lot less, but kept me healthy and put together a lot of consistent training to Brooklyn half. Why I ran well there. I had a pretty big breakthrough and ran, I think it was like 112, um, 30, 112, 30 ish, something like that. So really awesome race. Um, and, and in my head after that, I was like, oh, breaking 230 might be a real thing. Like I started to kind of think about that, which again, for where I was, my marathon PR was 246 at the time. I just felt that I had gotten to this different level after like five or six months of consistent running. 
And I knew that if I could bleed that into the marathon, I could probably do something big there. Uh, but took the exact same approach, like wasn't greedy with anything. I, I had a longer plan and the re like I tried to do a 20 week training plan specifically so that I didn't have to feel like I was cramming miles into any specific week. I could let the plan kind of build slowly. I could get some consistent long runs in, um, which is exactly what happened. I just had really consistent running. There's no like sexy answer to it. Uh, it, it is just what works is the whole thing. And all of a sudden I was doing things in training that I never thought were possible. And then I ran a tune up half marathon a month before where I ran completely alone, the exact same time that I ran in Brooklyn. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, I'm in really, really good shape. And it was, uh, going into it, it was this balance of like, for so long, I'd been wanting to break 240 and I still hadn't done it. Um, but I felt that I was at a completely different level than I was when I'd ran 246 or when I thought I was capable of breaking, breaking 240. And it was this game of me trying to convince myself that like, yes, I actually am in shape to be able to run under 230. Like I really thought that was possible. And I really got confidence for my training that that was something achievable. And the big focus on race day was genuinely one, it was perfect weather in New York City in 2018. So like, I, I remember running across the Verrazano Bridge and just being like, this is as good as it's going to get. Like, th this is perfect. There's nothing wrong. There's no wind. The temperature is amazing. Like, there's no excuse here. So however fit you are is however fit you are. Like, it's not the weather that's messing things up. But I focused very explicitly on during that first half, every time that I was worried um, about running too fast. I was like, you just need to get halfway under 115. Like if you put yourself in position to run under 230, like that is a win on the day, which maybe I was focusing a little bit too much on the first half. I don't think so with where I needed to be, but I, I came through the first half in like 115.35 or 114.35, I think is what it was, or right around there. And I was like, okay, amazing. Cause I had like gotten over that mental barrier where at that point I'd committed to it. Like I was going to try and run under 230 um, and try and hold on the rest of the way. And obviously uh, the the last three miles, I, it, it's hard to say I even blew up, but it, it caught up to me at one point, like coming up fifth Ave and, and getting into central park. Like it got super hard at the end, which is not surprising. I ended up giving a few seconds back in a bunch of those miles, which in a marathon, it just adds up super, super quickly. Um, but I never ran like a seven thirty mile. I never ran an eight minute mile at the end. It's just, I slowed down a bit uh, and ended up, I, I, I remember cause I was running I was close enough to breaking 230 where I came through the 26 mile, I think at like 229. Um, and that was just really cool because I got there and like, sure, I fell short of my goal of breaking 230, but I'd had this like 15 minute PR. Um, I, and I more than anything, I'd convinced myself enough that I was capable of breaking 230 that I truly went for it and was able to run 231 because of that. Um, and, and that was a super, super powerful one for me where it was like, okay, like you can do this is the whole thing. I, I, if I had gone out and tried to run under 240, maybe I would have ran like 238 because I would have picked it up over the second half, but I would have left so much time on the table. So I was able to really believe that I was capable of something that I hadn't thought was possible previously and then went out and tried to do it. And, and yeah, fell a little short, but again, did so much better than I dreamed was possible because I thought that I could do something that um, was insane. There's, there's so many lessons in there to unpack, man. I mean, first off, the only way the injury thing first, I mean, um, 
that's just our body is going to talk to us whether we listen or not, or we have the close enough friends who are experienced that maybe could be in our ear, or maybe we're lucky enough to be around good sports docs or good PTs or good sports chiropractors who are also runners. Cause we all, we're all in this together, man. We're all sharing the miles and we're all getting worked on by a lot of the same people. It, it takes sometimes a real injury or two, or maybe even three in, in your case before it really manifests itself for you to realize like, Hey, I'm not doing this right. Um, and there's a couple of causes. Um, it could be nutritional. It could be vitamin D. It can be a lot of things. But sometimes it's just nothing more than our bodies can take a certain amount. Okay. And some of us can run 100 plus miles a week. And some of us can run 140 miles a week. And some of us can run 200 miles a week. And some of us can run 50 miles a week. And that's really a peak. And that is doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean somebody's better than you because they can run more. It just, we have our limits. And the singular most important thing to figure out is where are those limits? And then how can I perform to be the best Tim, the best Ron, the best whomever um, when I'm around those limits? Because it's what we do with those miles that matter every bit as much as just filling out the Strava numbers, filling out the Instagram profile numbers. Like, no, man, it ain't about that. So it took you a couple of stress fractures before you finally realized I got to make some real tangible changes in how I'm training. And you applied it. And- I bet some of it too was not just that you were reducing the mileage. I bet you were really easing off on some of those other days. Like truly, I think recovery mile pace is something people really just don't get. They don't understand it. Um, they really just think, you know, it feels easy. So, okay. And I can run 230. So I'll run six minutes on my easy day. No, man, that's just, it's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. Um, it's supposed to be super easy, maybe two minutes slower than marathon pace. And that doesn't mean you can't run a couple of miles faster and that your body's not going to fold up and you're not going to suck at your next track workout. It's just the long term to be the fittest guy you can be, the fittest woman, it's applying these tweaks, right? So you made these changes on the training front. Another big step there in that journey, in that milestone. So you run your 112 in Brooklyn, which is a super competitive race for my non-New York City folks that listen to the show and for folks that are tuned in in another country. You don't get a more competitive race in the New York City scene than the Brooklyn half. It's the New York City half and the Brooklyn half. The Brooklyn half's traditionally faster. Um, you know, the course is faster. Um, at least it has been in the past. I don't know. They've been tweaking around all these courses and I'm not even sure what's faster anymore because they keep changing them. Like every year, there's like a little change here and there. But to run one twelve thirty in a super competitive race, when you got all the other club team runners out there, fast, fast women, fast men, and have people to chase is one thing, but you ran a one twelve thirty solo. Okay. So if anybody missed that, hopefully me bringing it over to reinforce it, you'll, you'll realize what a difference that is, man, because to run that fast alone is a huge difference. First off, it's a mind fuck because it's like, Whoa, I, I got to run this pace or I'm trying to run this pace. And then somewhere in there, you're doing it. But then when you finished it, you're like, I did this and I did this alone. So somewhere up there, you gave yourself the permission, like, I'm not just going to chase a sub 240 because my time is 244 or 246, whatever your number was at that point. That's a big jump, man. That took a lot of faith, a lot of faith to say, 
I'm going for 115 at the half because as we know, New York City is harder in the second half. Man, this is not a debatable subject. It's harder. And I don't give a shit who you are. Everybody suffers on Fifth Avenue. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many miles a week you run. I don't care how strong you are. It is a suffer fest on Fifth Avenue, man. That is my least favorite. And I'm like gritting my teeth and grinding my molars down and spitting and doing all sorts of other shit I shouldn't be doing because I just keep looking at the street signs because we all know 20 blocks is a mile and we know 10's a half mile and we're just counting it down until we get to 90th so we can dump into the park and you're like you feel like you just got like six extra lives in a video game when you hit the park because although we still have some more hills in there we've run so many freaking thousands of miles in that park man it's like a booster shot you know it's like a power up and in you know on an xbox game and you're like i'm home man i'm back in my park so no doubt um you hitting those last couple of miles, it must have felt 10 times harder, even though the pace might not have been dropping that much. The effort level to stay where you were, it feels like you're working 100 times harder and you're down to those last two, three miles. So in the park, man, you know, because now, I mean, you literally have a shot at like 230 and you end up with 231. Like, in, do you did you know in the park look with your watch and consciously like where you were and you know what you would need or were you just literally it was like head down grunting and pedal to the metal man it's a funny one because i've talked to one of my buddies i I remember the year after i I sat down with someone who was going to run their first new york and he he asked me something along the lines of like do you think if you were like mentally more prepared you would have been able to hold on and it was his first new york but also his first marathon i should say and i think that's a very much like a first marathoner question because that like no amount of mental preparation would have made me run faster is the whole thing. Like I knew it was going to get super hard at the end. It's not that I wasn't trying hard enough. It's just my body was physically incapable um, of going faster to exactly your question. I I knew it was slipping. Like I I knew that I I think I had my first or second mile was above like six flat. Maybe I ran like a six ten or a six fifteen. and kind of knew like, it, unless this shifts back to like a 555, there I'm gonna lose under 230 at that point though as well. It's like it. I know that, but there's also nothing I can do about it. It's one of those weird, not conundrums, but it, it's this weird thing where you're watching something happen. And to exactly what you said, like I am trying as hard as I can at this point. I am definitely still putting in like full effort to continue to try and run as fast as possible, but there's not anything that I can do to all of a sudden be like, Oh no, I can just try harder and run like another 545 and cover some of the missed time. That's just not how the marathon works. It's like, you're, you're on the precipice of your hamstrings locking up on you or whatever it might be. Um, so, so I was aware of it, but it's not like a disappointment thing. It was more of a, like, hold it together and you're still going to run great is the whole thing. I knew if I, could just continue to run for all intents and purposes through the finish line that I was going to have an awesome day. Uh, I just needed to avoid a situation where all of a sudden I get like an insane cramp, which happens. Do you hear those horror stories of people that like all of a sudden their quad locked up in them and they couldn't walk or they, they had to like stop for five minutes and stretch before they could start moving again. Um, so it was a really weird, just like this is happening and there's nothing I can do, but in no way was it disappointing. Like I I didn't cross the finish line and like was super bummed about what I'd run in no way did that ever happen. There was a bit where it's like, I was so close, but it's not out of disappointment. It's just like, Oh, you're like right there is the whole thing. And, 
and being there now, like having that as my PR, obviously I'm going to continue to try and chase to get under 230. Like that is the next big barrier, if you will, that matters to me personally with where my times are. Um, but it was still super exciting to just be like, well, I just PR'd by 15 minutes. Like that's huge is the whole thing. Dude, to PR by 15 minutes, if you're a five or six hour marathoner is a big deal. Um, to do it in the range that you're running at is just crazy. Um, and it's just, it's amazing. So you gotta be, you know, people, we work so hard at our running, man. We work on it. We put so much in and, you know, to your friend, who's the first time marathoner, the mental state, the mental state's great. Goggins, all these things, audio books, you can do so much. Okay. But when you're buried in the last 5k or maybe even the last 10k of a marathon, man, nobody's fucking coming to save you, man. Nobody's coming to get you your best hope. And like, if I could give you a scenario that might help, like, yeah, it'd have to have been a local runner or somebody you have real respect for, super creds for, that like were come up on you, or maybe was maybe coming back to you and struggling, and then you were to connect and make eye contact and be like, let's go, we're going to go. Or, you know, like see somebody out on the course who you've ripped a million miles with who maybe jumped out there and ran a mile with you or something. Like it takes something like that, a true like a shock to the system or some, you know, miracle almost happenstance because there is no more in the tank. The tank is being fully, it's been fully depleted. And to your point, man, you don't want to go into some state if a cramp starts to come in a calf or a quad or anywhere else, man, it's inches away from continuing and then being like literally not being able to be stopped. And you are on the side of the road. And if you stop for a moment, man, it can be over. Um, you could be out of the game. So yeah, you get across and, uh, you know, I know anybody will sign in blood right now to have a 15 minute a PR anytime and to rip at the 231 is one thing and to crush your PR but to do it in New York that's homeschool man hometown and no doubt the toughest course of the majors it's not even a debatable subject it's not even close toughest course just because we know it and you know the terrain it's the toughest course that's it man it is and it is it's going to test every ounce of us and although the crowds are insane and we can like thrive and feed off of it it's still brutal, man. The concrete, the bridges, everything it throws at you, man. And then even though we've run a billion miles of that park, man, it ain't easy, you know, going up and down those hills at the end, man. I just know, you know, when we go down over by the boathouse over there, that, going back up that hill, even though you've done it like 400,000 times, every time I look at that in the race, I'm always just like, are you kidding me, man? Do I really got to go up this hill now? Like, you know, like everything hurts at that point, man. Even, even going up my tavern on the green seems like like it's like a 12%, you know, climb, you know, and it's not, I mean, every day when we're doing our regular runs or closing out a tempo run for CVTC, you rip by there, like any pace you want, but at the end of the marathon, you're like, I, I can't make it up this hill. <laughs> like I'm stuck, you know, give me, give me the oxygen sensor, man. So, all right. So the 231 total insanity is 2018. I ran that year, an awesome year, fabulous weather, as you said, um, and you got to celebrate with your boys, man. So you're coming off that, that's your high, your half PR at that point is like 112. from there, you know, I know we know you had an issue this year, which we can talk about. So you have your, you do your writing is, is it tempo journal or what yeah. it's tempo journal, right? So you wrote a piece for that and, um, it was terrific, man. I loved it. Um, and if you want, we could talk about that or if you have any other races or any other like big moments, it doesn't have to be a marathon, a half, some, another race you want to talk about or anything else before we jump into that. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the one that bleeds into it and probably the coolest running experience that I had, uh, which unfortunately is kind of what has put me back in a little bit of a, a injury cycle, if you will. Uh, I did speed project in 2019 as as part of the team that sat uh, at the time the course record I ran with the Blue Ribbon Sports team. Uh, like hands down, coolest experience ever. I, I'm sure uh, if Kilgore didn't talk about it, because it sounds like he talked right before he he went out there, like. Kilgore is the guy to talk to about speed project. He he's got better stories than I do, but uh, that race was like coolest race that I'll ever be part of. Just absolutely absurd. Uh, I, I think the way that my team ran it, we were doing shorter intervals that you could run faster. I think I ran like 90 times over the period of 30 ish hours, uh, a little more than 30 hours. I think it was like 31 is what our team ended up running, but like Santa Monica Pier to the Welcome to Las Vegas sign, just so cool to be part of something like that. Uh, and wouldn't change it for a thing. In my IT band, unfortunately, gave me a massive issue after that. And then uh, I think it's interrelated to some of the other like hip issues that I've had since. But we're working on all that stuff. And again, like would not not do a race like that again, um, just because it it's such a unique experience and such a cool. Um, like relay experience. I love Speed Project and then Hood to Coast, which is a 12-person relay out in Oregon. Those styles of races, I just think are so special because that team atmosphere is something that you don't get all that often in running um, in in that very tangible relay sense. Yeah, I think 100%. And I haven't been blessed to do either of those, but I'm very familiar with both uh, Hood to Coast and you know, uh, desert, uh, DS D- distance speed project as a project, whatever the hell it's called. I don't know, DSP, uh-huh. you know, whatever the hell letters you want, but I can't believe that nobody's cooked up, you know, between trials and miles or somebody, we got to cook up some of our, some more of our own stuff like that from here, running from here to Maine or Boston or something. I don't know, man, we can do anything we want, man. We can just create stuff or just keep running around New York city. I don't know. Lap it, lap it like 20 times or something. I don't know. We, you just make it like some kind of adventure thing. I mean, obviously we have OSR races and we've got all sorts of different styles of things, but, um, I definitely think more unique things like that. Um, because that element of you're up next, like you got to answer the call because you're on the team. Um, you know, whether you're sleeping in a van or you're whatever the hell you're doing in a coach bus or whatever you're doing, like the team's dependent on you, man. So you got to answer the bell. Um, and yeah, the injury part, it's a big part of our sport, man. It sucks, but you know what? You figured it out the last time before you came in. So, you know, ITB, hip, this and stuff, they're so close together. They're so related. I mean, stuff, it goes from the ground and it just travels up, um, And, you know, it starts at our feet and it works our way up, man. And, you know, like it isn't easy to figure it out and changing shoes and running on different surfaces and just, you know, trying to change things around clockwise, counterclockwise, man, you change up every single thing you can about your runs, even shoes, you know, wearing hokas, more more cushioning, like, man, just change every single thing you can just to try and see if any of these things help alleviate some of those until you get back to that fully grounded, healthy state again. Um, cause when we're not, then obviously we can't perform at our best. So, um, do you want to talk a little about your piece you wrote, you know, about New York city and your experience, man, because I think as cool as your two thirty one is, and it is fucking amazing to have a 15 minute PR and run a time that's that fast. It's insane. I also think there's just so many lessons learned in that last race for you and, you know, just what it meant to you, you know, and, and how, 
The choices present themselves, man. Every single mile out there, the fork in the road is there saying, I don't have to do this. I'm going to finish with this time. And that's so much. Every one of those decisions are going through your head at every single moment. So rather than me try to remember what you wrote, because you wrote a beautiful piece on it, you know, talk, talk me through a little bit about the race, because I know you weren't coming in particularly healthy anyway, because I know when we talked at the end of that 10 mile run, you know, we had kind of shared a little bit of that, which was really the last time I saw you. Yeah. 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 It's funny looking back on that 10 mile run being like, oh yeah, you probably knew a little bit of uh, what was to come was coming at the time, but uh, you have a little bit of naivety for sure. But yeah, I mean, the the context obviously is one COVID happened. <laughs> That's like a very real thing. Uh, and and I, I was pretty banged up at the beginning of COVID. I, I was having a relatively serious hip issue that I couldn't necessarily figure out, um, which thankfully one of the like massive silver linings of COVID is with all the races getting canceled. And I say a silver line and obviously COVID was absolutely miserable and continues to be absolutely miserable. But um, when races got canceled, it, it kind of resulted in this thing where I was willing to shut my running down for a little bit, uh, which was crappy as well. Just not getting out of the apartment for a little bit. Those are, those are real things and real reasons why people started running, which is exciting, but, um, shut some running down, figured my hip thing out for the most part in 2020. Uh, and, and then unfortunately just like a few weeks before New York, it, it started to kind of rear its head back up just as my long run started to get long again. Uh, so I ended up in this weird space where uh, I felt pretty fit. I'd run a good, again, half marathon in the buildup. I, I went over to Copenhagen with a few friends um, and, and ran like 111.30, which we talked about 2018 just now. Like that's faster than I ran in 2018 and my build up to a 231. Um, but then my hip kind of went sideways on me and uh, I would run uh, like I did my first 18 miler and it got so sore that I had to take two or three days off. Uh, and, and then it was kind of that like dance at that point where I'm four or five weeks out and I want to get to the starting line and still put some real work in, but also get myself there healthy. So my mileage had scaled back. My workouts had scaled back. I was taking a lot of days off, um, but I still got to the starting line and like felt good was the whole thing. Like I felt capable of running a marathon. Essentially, I didn't know exactly what I was going to be capable of running, but I kind of guessed based off my the half marathon that I ran, hopefully based on where my fitness was that I could end up in this like 235 range, if you will. Uh, and, and the thought was, even if I go out too hard, it's probably not too hard where I couldn't bring it back reasonably uh, and just not explode, which did not happen, unfortunately, because what happened was uh, I ended up running. Uh, I ran the first eight, nine miles feeling pretty good. Honestly, there was a good group of us. You talked about Shalane. Shalane was right in that group um, and, and a few other local buddies, which was super, super cool to be part of that. Uh, the, the fun story that I like from those first few miles is this guy ran up on us at one point. I looked over. Uh, it's a small Kenyan guy and it's Wesley Career, who is like uh, an icon in my brain. He, he was a former Boston Marathon champion who joined the parliament in Kenya and is just like, a crazy story and not someone that I've ever seen in real life before. I was like, what is actually happening? This is the coolest thing ever. Um, so that, that was surreal. Um, but ran the first eight miles and then all of a sudden it started to get like really hard, really quickly. And again, eight miles is very early in a marathon. Everyone who's run a marathon knows that. Um, and, and I think it was the next, I ran the next like two or three miles, still very much trying to to stay like in that space and just hoping that it was a rough patch or something along those lines. 
Um, and, and at mile 11, I essentially was like, I'm not feeling any better. I need to slow down a bit to see if that pulls me out of it. Um, hoping that again, I could maybe run, we're running 235 pace of like 555s, I think is what we were clicking off and clicking them off pretty consistently. Um, and, and I backed off to like 610 or 615 thinking like, oh, maybe this will start to feel better. And it just simply did not start to feel better. And this is mile 12 at this point. I've let the group go. Um, I'm completely by myself and like realizing maybe not at that mile, but I get to like 12, 13, 14 and the miles are slowly getting slower and slower. And I just have this realization like, oh, my day is over. Like I, it, it's not a rough patch. Like this is just going South right now. Um, and just felt bad was the whole thing. And, and essentially what ends up happening is like, I, I cross over the bridge into Manhattan. So I'm at mile 15, mile 16 at this point. And I'm starting to run like 7.30s for the most part. I think like 7.15, 7.30 is the mile pace that I'm ending up running. And there's a long stretch like running up um, with, uh, huge crowds and everything when I'm running up first half, second half. I'm forgetting now, whatever. Uh, <laughs> massive crowd, super stoked. But like, I, I think that I'm going to see a group of my friends at like 100th Street, essentially. And I'm like, I'm going to drop out when I see them. Like I, I am still 12 miles from the finish line. I'm whatever it was, 12, 11, 10, like I'm counting it down at this point. And, and I feel horrible and it's just like not getting better. And, and at that point, the crowds are massive. Again, I think I'm going to see my friends at the tip of Manhattan or the, the northernmost point of Manhattan before we cross over to the Bronx. And essentially I started to have this like internal, like, am I going to drop out? Do I want to drop out conversation with myself almost? Uh, and this happens over a period of two or three miles. And essentially I started to realize like, like at, at first it was super disappointing. Like I'm going to run very slowly is what it felt like. Again, when you're going backwards, you just think you're going to continue to go backwards. So I thought I was going to run like 3.30 in the marathon or something insane for what I thought I was capable of on the day. Um, and, and did not want to do that because it's like another hour and 20 minutes of just suffering which would have not been fun and i don't know what's going to happen to my body um but then like five minutes later i start to do the the checks i'm like you know what like i feel physically healthy is the whole thing it's not my hip giving me an issue it's not my calves locking up on me i just feel depleted and dead um and i start like walking through the water stations and chugging gatorade and stuff and slowly start to not feel good but like come around a little bit and essentially over those three miles running up Manhattan, I start to realize like, if I dropped out, I would feel so much worse about this. The marathon got canceled last year. Let's just get to the Bronx is the whole thing. And I, and I buddies with the guy who leads Boogie Down Bronx runners, Lenny, I know he's going to be there. Like, let's get to Lenny. Let's see, let's see the Boogie Down guys and see if we can just get there. Um, so get there, still feeling like garbage, give Lenny a big hug, like start jumping up and down with the crowd. And like, at that point, that moment was like, this is fun is the whole thing. Like it sucks. My day is over, but I can still enjoy myself is the whole thing. And I'm going to make the most of it at this point. So I've kind of decided like dropping out would suck. I don't want to do that. Let's finish this race and just enjoy ourselves doing it. And thankfully at this point in the race, I know a few cheer sections that are coming. So see Lenny, boogie down guys. Um, know that I'm going to see the We Run Uptown guys at mile 21, 22. Uh, get there, see Heck, Josh, like a bunch of the Nike guys, a bunch of my buddies. 
uh, have a great time there, which was super, super fun as well. I thankfully have some friends who have sent me videos of myself, which uh, are very much enjoyable videos for me to have. And it's essentially, I'm living like cheer section, cheer section at this point, really running super slow every other mile that I'm running. Um, but getting to these chair sections, stopping, high-fiving everyone, giving people hugs, which are things that I would never do if I was having a good day. Um, but I got to enjoy myself like that. And very much it's like 22 and we run up down and then I got to 24 in Brooklyn Track Club. And then I saw a bunch of friends at 25 and even entering the park, I saw some more friends. And then I come down to finish you and I'm just like hyping the crowds up and stuff because I'm not running fast. I'm, I'm running way slower than I would have wanted to. But that was such an enjoyable experience and such an enjoyable um, like way to finish those last 10 miles. And it really just got me through it in the end was the whole thing. And I truly wouldn't have got there without living cheer section to cheer section and getting the support from the community that was giving me the energy to continue to run. Um, and it was a very... Uh, like special moment where yeah if i'm running the race of my life i'm not slowing down to high five and hug people but i'm having a horrible day and and i can do these things which are super super fun in a way to just again celebrate new york city running which was super exciting because it, it was a race that got canceled the previous year it, it was a like very emotional year for the marathon and, and just super exciting to see it come back i mean it's an absolute case study man because when we're ripping and ripping is whatever your fastest day is, that doesn't matter if you can run a, a 231 like Tim or you can run a, you know, a 218 or, you know, or a 440 or a 320 or whatever. It doesn't matter what time it is. Ripping is running your fastest and at your most controlled at pushing the envelope day. Sure, we're going to hear people shout our names out and, you know, passing through boogie down in these main sections. Man, you should be friggin' giving it up, man. Those people are out there, man. They're making our day. Or other people out there that make signs for us or the CPTC people or the other run club people, man. I'm blessed that people know who the hell I am and they're screaming out, go run, runs NYC or some shit. And I'm just like, I'm back from the dead instantly, man. I'm like, let's fucking go, man. Let's go. Like in two seconds, man. I remember my boy Greg Mackett was up and he's running with Boogie Down now. He was up just past them on the last bridge, you know, the last fucking bridge or whatever. That lady has that sign every year, which is my favorite because you do if you see one more bridge you literally might kill somebody it's like i'm not running up any more bridges i don't want any more bridges just get them off the course you know and it can change everything man it can change everything so you had so many decisions to make um you're checking the systems on a body like a pilot like you know is it the hip is it this is it that you know and i'm just i'm happy man that you came down where you did because if you really were hurt then the right move is to drop out. You know, like, I mean, we put so much glory and attach so much glory to people powering through and grinding and pushing and hell, man, my motto is stay in the fight. So man, you know, and I'm guilty of it myself, man. I don't ever want to feel like I backed down or I didn't push through, but there are some times when we're not supposed to, man, when we're really broken and we're really injured and really hurt, the right move is to, is to step off the course. But when we're just struggling because we weren't healthy and we couldn't get it together during a training cycle and all the changes we tried to make that just didn't work and our fitness suffered because of it, 
And you're not going to feel good when you're trying to rip, you know, 530s and 540s and 550s. And then, you know, you you got all your answers because you made all the right moves. I mean, you backed off to like 610s and you backed off even further. And when you're backing off almost a minute, a mile, and you're not feeling any better, then you know something's wrong, okay? And, you know, maybe you weren't feeling great physically. Like, I mean, you know, like there's all kinds of other things. It isn't just your mileage and your body, but it's so cool that through those sections, Cause I've been there, man. I've been there in London when it was 80 degrees and I had a friend, uh, Greg Lemo Stein. I don't know if you know, Greg, but, um, he ran for Central Park Track Club, still does. And, um, he's got a running podcast, Cloud 259. And Greg lived in London at the time. And he had told me he was going to meet me at a point on the course. And I had run Boston six days before it was the monsoon, right? So it was there six days apart. You go from a monsoon and hypothermia, it's 82 degrees in London. And, you know, a guy died on the course, a, guy, a sub three marathoner died in the course. So, I was dizzy. I was wobbling. It was everything you're talking about, just not being in a right state of mind. And I told myself, you know, just one of the things, steps you took along the way, just, I just need to make it to Greg where his family is going to be. And I'm just going to go to him and I'll go home with him. I'm not going to finish the race. I don't know if it was 16, whatever it was. And then as happenstance would have it, he wasn't there because I was so much behind what my normal time would be. He just figured I dropped out or whatever. He missed me. And then so he moved on in the course and I never saw him. So I kept going and I finished. I didn't have as dramatic an experience with you. I don't know as many people in London at different stops to kind of pick me up, but I just think it's so cool that each one of those places along the way, you found something to focus on other than yourself, you know, to share some joy, share some good energy. And you realized, you thought it through, like, what were you going to feel like? Because that's what people don't stop and think about. Like, hey, man, if I punch out here, how am I going to feel? Forget about an hour or two from now, a day or two from now. How are you going to feel a month from now or three months from now? It was the 50th New York City Marathon, man. So kudos to you, bro, man. You stayed in there. You got it done. And you finished it and you learned a shitload of stuff, right? Man, how much did you learn? A lot, right? Yeah, like it, it's just a completely different experience for sure. And like you you, you kind of learn that, yes, you can push through. That's obviously an important one. And you said it as well. Like that that's a conversation that I've had with a lot of people. Like if, if my body was broken in some way, I fully would have stopped. Like in no way am I going to force myself to run another 12 miles if I think my foot's broken or something like that. And there's very real reasons why people step off the courses. It, it was just the, the larger realization of like, every reason I had to stop was mostly because I just overestimated how fit I was in the end. Like it, it, in the doing the check of my body, it was just a realization like, oh, I just miscalculated today and that sucks. And like, now I'm suffering the consequences of that. Um, but it, in my brain, wasn't a once I thought through it, wasn't a real reason to stop running. Like I, I was having a bad day in the context of it, but it wasn't a, a bad day that was going to be worse by running another 12 miles slower than what I had wanted to. Um, and, and that was a super important one of like, it was totally worth persevering through that. But then also the, the community piece was the bigger one. And you said it like 50th anniversary, um, first race back since COVID, obviously a smaller field. But like all of these crews and communities, and again, going back to like how I got started into running the, the people that very literally brought me into the sport, it was super special to have this experience where I was able to maybe like interact with them significantly more than I would have um, if I had been running a good day. And, and that shift in, in focus of like, hey, let's just have some fun with it. Let, let's hype the crowds up a little bit. Let's have fun with those guys. And 
who knows? Maybe there's someone who saw what was happening or like, hey, I want to run the marathon now or something like that because it looks way more enjoyable than I probably look when I'm trying to run way faster. Um, like that, those are the things that are fun. And those people are out there. They're out there for hours. I've been part of those cheer sections. It's a special experience. And it's fun when someone interacts with you is the whole thing. So they're out there giving their energy to the runners. I might as well give something right back to them is the whole thing. And it's a give and take. Uh, and yeah, like, again, not the race that I wanted, but definitely one that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life for very different reasons than 2018 or 2014 or whatever it might be. Um, but still memorable nonetheless. Yeah. You learned a lot from it. Um, no question about it. And when we push through on those days and focus on other people too, like, you know, looking through the crowd, which you can't do when you're racing all out and you're really pushing to get to that next 5k, get through that next mile marker, or just keep yourself on a pace, whatever that pace is again, whatever that number is like, our focus is so much more intent. Our purpose is so much more driven to get me here by then. You know, sure, you were looking around a little bit, but for the most part, usually looking up at that next single in front of you, the next jog bar in front of you. Hey, let me get up to this next group. Let me see if I can get up to this group and work with them because that's how we shorten the race, man. It's like grab onto this person, latch onto this person, make it, make this move up to here, or, or I'm looking out for Len and, and uh, boogie down. I'm going to get up there and feed off their energy, man, because it's awesome. But, you know, awesome in every possible way, because for the people out there that know you're an awesome runner and you've ripped some times, like when you stay in there and, you know, to say stay in the fight, yeah, you did, man. You just finished it. You weren't broken. You weren't dead, but you stayed in there, man, and you finished it and you gave back a lot of love to the community, which that's what we, that's what it's about, man. Sharing the love, you know, sharing the positive energy. And, um, we live to fight another day and we learned some valuable lessons, man. So you pegged it right on your 231 day and you pegged it wrong on this day. It doesn't mean you were a genius when you pegged it right at 231. And it doesn't mean you're not a fucking genius when you, when you miscalculate on this one. It just, that's what makes it sweet. And, you know, that's why, um, it's interesting because whether we coach ourselves or not, you know, that's, that's just one of the fun parts of it. And I know you do it yourself and I do it myself. You know, I think that's awesome. You know, I think having that responsibility is super cool. Letting somebody else have it. That's also cool. But you know, you're the captain of your ship, man. You're going to decide what you're going to go for. And that's, that's really where the rubber meets the road. So kudos to you, man. We, uh, we covered a lot of fun shit. Um, I hope you enjoyed the convo, man. I know it's definitely going to be a fun one to listen to. I'm sure it's going to inspire some people to see the crazy progress you've made with your running. Is there anything we didn't get to on Lost Boys, New York City running scene, something that's important to you that's like top of mind that we didn't get a chance to cover off on? Dude, I, I think you got everything, man. I, I'm stoked to just have the conversation. And obviously, like, I, I know we're going to grab a lot more miles coming up. Uh, New York's coming back and, and it's going to be a fun year, 2022, like seeing everything that's going to happen in the city. But hopefully there's more to talk about at the end of this year. I'm, I'm sure we're both going to do some really, really cool stuff uh, and, and hopefully make some more just awesome experiences over these next few months. But yeah, man, I mean, we we got to a lot of it. I like it. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing sharing your story, brother. It's a good one for sure. And uh, I wish you luck getting to be fully healthy and be at your, you know, tip fitness and strength and, uh, you know, finding that next thing that man really lights the fire, man, gets the juices going, 
And uh, we'll put our heads together, man. Let's come up with some more fun community-based stuff, like relays and stuff. That stuff's fun, man. It's good energy, man. 24-hour run in Central Park. I don't know, man. There's got, because And fundraising and stuff for local causes in New York that matter, food banks, particular places. That stuff's fun. We love to run anyway. So it's just something we love to do. And, uh, you know, we all have a lot of reach, you know, between our platforms, you know, the podcast and Instagram and Facebook and our running clubs and our community, man. Let's put our heads together, man. Let's come up with some fun ideas and use that energy and vibe for uh, for something good, man. Yeah, 100%. You said it. There's so many people in the community that are like doing spectacular work. I know we chatted about it, but like coffee and power are people that come to mind who are doing amazing work. And I'm sure that everyone who listens to this are already familiar with those guys, but yeah, I completely agree. I mean, like running truly has such amazing power to like change people's lives and, and there's ways to give back via it, which is super, super cool. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I have no doubt that we can come up with some super, super cool stuff as well. Cause you're right. There, there's not that stuff out here in New York just yet. Uh, and, I, and I think there's space for it. There's people doing amazing work already in the city, but there's always space for more of it, which is the exciting thing. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we'll we'll put our uh, heads together and get the juices flowing, brother. Well, appreciate you again coming on and sharing. And we sign off every show telling everybody to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. And like the sign says above me, always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. Good times talking with Tim Rossi. Super fun learning about the genesis of Lost Boys Track Club and the vibe and and fun impact they're having on the community in running from end to end, track and field, cross country, marathoning. Um, they're just giving a lot of love out there and really positive shares. And uh, just kudos to Tim for him and the crew for creating that buzz and that great energy around running and just supporting other runners, um, what's going down out there on the scene. And uh, really enjoyed getting to know him better, man. What makes him tick? What got him involved in running? What's got gets him so fired up? What gets the juices flowing? And kind of what's next on his, on his list and what he's going to be chasing after. So excited to follow his progression. 231 marathon, 111 half, like super fast, dude. He's got major wheels. And uh, love to see where he can take it when he continues to get stronger and healthier and build and uh, and take it to the next level. So uh, good, good, good one, man. Really enjoyed it. Hope you all did too. Uh, please continue sharing on Instagram, Strava, Facebook, and any other platform you can. Spread the good word. Uh, take a couple of minutes and go on Apple Podcasts. Write a quick review. It really helps us get new listeners tuning into the program. And more importantly, it helps me get great guests like Tim to come on and share their inspiring stories. So let's keep rocking and rolling on that end. Keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>